in our age, the prevailing thought is they get you, you get to decide your own life, your own course in life. And there's some good to that, right? We appreciate living in a society where you can uh, look to certain goals and things that you want to do with your life and you're not restricted from doing those things. But our society tends to go even further sometimes, doesn't it? From intellectual discourse to everyday advertising, have it your way is the, the message of our day and age. And what this does is it discounts the idea of transformation. So if anyone does change, the thought is that they change because they want to, they will to. It's their desire to want to do something different with their life. So it's a self-improvement project that we take on, right? But that worldview doesn't understand the gospel. See, when the gospel comes into somebody's life, a radical transformation takes place. Sometime in the 50s A.D., there was a man from the Lycus Valley, from the area around Colossae, which was near Laodicea and Hierapolis, Right. It wasn't too far from Ephesus. Paul had been ministering in Ephesus in the mid-50s, and he spent three years there. Paul did. And we um, saw some of that as we studied Acts and saw how Paul had labored among the people there. And we also saw uh, some interaction that he had with all these different uh, individuals who served alongside him. And yet there are other individuals we see in other books where uh, we see that this network of new believers in this growing church was uh, in some ways larger than you you might think, right? And so this man from Colossae makes his way to Ephesus. We don't know exactly what his business was, but he must have been introduced to Paul in Paul's ministry, and he became a believer in Christ Christ. And he took that message back to Colossae and took the gospel back to Colossae. Now, there were likely other believers who did the same. And there were likely churches in places like Hierapolis and Laodicea. But what we see is that uh, there was uh, a large number of Jews of the diaspora who lived in the Lycus Valley. And Paul, even in his earlier missionary journeys, would have crossed across Asia Minor. So there would have been people moving back and forth across these uh, Roman trade routes and would have gone through some of these cities. And there's these nameless and faceless individuals to us. We don't know them all, but they carried the gospel to new places. And then at some point in the early 60s AD, we have this record from Paul having written this letter to the Colossians that this man, Epaphras, who had taken the gospel to the Colossians, he is dealing with a threat on the periphery of the church. We don't know exactly what the threat was. It may have been some sort of Jewish mysticism, and we will hopefully get more into that in future um, sermons on Colossians. But for now, we just know that there was something that was pulling people's hearts and affections and minds away from the one true gospel, away from Christ. And so Epaphras makes his way to Rome, and he meets up with Paul there, and he tells Paul about what has happened. And now Paul feels a responsibility, a burden for this church that had come about through his own ministry and through his own message, even though he had never met them himself. He felt this affectionate love for the church 
in Colossae. So then we have this letter written to the Colossians. And this is, as best as we can tell, a reconstruction of the events surrounding the writing of this letter to the Colossians. Now, would you read with me as I read the first 14 verses of the letter to the Colossians? And in these verses, we see a prayer. Paul gives this pastoral prayer for the church. It's full of loving concern for them, for their well-being. And so let's, let's think about that as, as I read for us here. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you that you have brought the gospel to new places. And you have brought the gospel even to us. And Lord, we would be nothing without you. You have made us who we are. And so Lord, help us to see how good you are to to show such grace and mercy to people even like us. And Lord, help us to see the necessity of bringing the message of the gospel to new places, just as the church did in its first century. Lord, I I pray that you would help us to have gratitude and thankfulness when we see people who have a firm faith fixed upon you. And Lord, help us to have a loving concern and desire for them that they might grow in the knowledge and wisdom of you, and that they would grow to follow you closely and to love you with all their hearts. Help us to love you. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. So the, the truth of God is spread through proclamation. And the Colossians heard this message and they believed. And Paul is expressing thankfulness to the Father for their faith. And he's praying on their behalf that they might walk in a manner worthy of the gospel that they have received. 
So he recognizes God's work in their lives and that this radical transformation is taking place after they have received the gospel. So we live with sin in this world, but when the gospel comes, lives are transformed. And their hope was in Christ. So where is your hope this morning? Where is your trust? Later on here, Paul uses the Christian virtues of faith and love and hope, right? My prayer for you is that we would be able to see this example of Paul's prayer for the Colossians and that we would be encouraged to, to love Christ's church and to, to see how uh, the gospel goes forth, how we are to be thankful for that and how we are to desire to see God's people grow in the knowledge of him. And so this is a pastoral prayer. Paul prays for the church knowing that the gospel has gone forth and he's thankful for their faith and he wants them to walk in a manner worthy of Christ. Know that this is something that uh, even though Paul was not their personal pastor, he had never even met them, he had this pastoral concern for them. And we should have a a concern for, for others. We should have a concern for the church. And know that your pastors pray for you, right? The, the role of a shepherd is to have a prayerful concern for the church. And we see Paul's thankfulness for the church where it's at. And we also see this desire to see the church grow and mature in Christ. Both of these are captured in this prayer. So we see some intentionality here, right? We can, we're going to look a little more closely now at well, what Paul prays for them. He's thankful for them. He's thankful that the gospel has gone forth. And he's also prayerful that they would mature and grow in Christ. And I, I don't want to um, move on too quickly because I want us to remember this is all set in the context of prayer. Paul was a man of prayer. And this, uh, it's so easy for us to read through a book in the New Testament and think, well, this is just the introduction. Right? This is just a, a form letter. And we follow the form of the letter. Right? This, this is an extended prayer that Paul makes on behalf of the church. Right? So first we see that Christ is proclaimed. I'm going to reread verses 1 through 8 for us. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so there we see a few different ways in which the gospel is being proclaimed and gone forth. Even in the opening of the letter, Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. So we're introduced to Timothy in various letters and various places, and we see how he ministers alongside Paul. And there's some things we can take just from Timothy's own experience in ministry. Paul gives Timothy opportunities to accrue authority through the practice of ministry. So it wasn't just something that he gave to Timothy. 
Timothy learned ministry through doing ministry. So it's not just something given, it's built. And ministers of the gospel are formed through the practice of ministry. And so even as we have this passing line mentioning Timothy, our brother, it reminds us of this. It reminds us of how Paul had poured his life into Timothy and how Timothy had imitated Paul. Paul says in multiple places, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Right? So Paul had this idea of shared ministry. We see this in multiple places. We see where he begins his missionary journey with Barnabas and Mark. And then later we see folks like Silas and Luke and Timothy and Titus who come alongside Paul and, and serve alongside with him. So this ministry was not just about Paul. There were multitudes of others who served alongside them, with them, and, and brought the gospel to a larger range of new peoples that went beyond where Paul could have gone on his own. Even in Romans 15 and 16, at the end of that book, you see this is a missionary letter that Paul is writing to the Romans because he wants to go to Spain. And there's all these people mentioned in the church in Rome, and Paul has not been there yet when he writes Romans 15 and 16. Paul is, is pointing out that he wants to make this, build a relationship with the Romans so that he can use it as a new base of ministry and operation to make it over to Spain. And so we see there, even in Romans, this, uh, this example of how somebody took the gospel to Rome ahead of Paul even. Right? So there's these uh, folks who thousands of individual Christians who carried the gospel, the proclamation of the gospel into new places. And so Paul shared the work of ministry with those around him. And may that be who we are as a church, training and proclaiming. And ministry belongs to the church. You carry the message of the gospel. We also see Epaphras. He was a, a faithful laborer, a faithful minister for them. So this likely, he came to Christ uh, through the ministry of Paul in Ephesus. In the third missionary journey, at some point, he, he makes it over to Ephesus and becomes a Christian. He goes back to Colossae, brings the gospel to Colossae. And then there's this false teaching that enters in. And we, we see how false narratives work. They seem appealing to us for some reason. They draw us in. They, they fit with some preconceived notion that we have with the way the, the world works or the way the world ought to work. But they're a distraction from the true message, salvation in Christ. And so Epaphras goes to Paul in Rome and he tells Paul about the church in Colossae. He, he tells Paul about their faith in Christ, that they had a living faith. He tells them of their love for all the saints, that they loved God's people. And he tells them of their hope in redemption. And so Paul doesn't spend much time on the counterfeit. As we continue on through Colossians, we're going to see that Paul does uh, mention and touch on this counterfeit gospel and he does denounce it, but he, he focuses really strongly on the truth. And next week, we're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to talk about this hymn written to Christ and how it focuses on uh, who Christ is, Christ's supremacy over all creation. And so Paul focuses in on Christ in response to this. And here in this passage, we see that he focuses on the person of Christ, our identification with Christ, and our new life in Christ. And we're going to see that pattern 
uh, reflected in the book as a whole. So here in this passage, we have two major sections. The first half, which is talking about our identity in Christ, having received the gospel. And then the second half is how we are to live in light of that truth that we've received. And in the whole book of Colossians, we see that pattern in chapters 1 and 2. And then the second part in chapters 3 and 4 as well. And so there's, there's many others who carried the message to new towns. And we may talk a lot about Paul and his letters, but there's this multitude of servants who carried the gospel to those who would hear. We are called to do the same, to train and proclaim. And the letter to the Ephesians was written probably about the same time as Colossians. And there in Ephesians chapter 4, we see uh, this in 4, 11, and 12. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. For the building up of the body of Christ. And it's so easy to look at a, a verse like this. And we say, okay, we've got apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. Now, what's the difference between those? Is a shepherd the same as a teacher? And you know, analyze it, pick it apart, and, and miss the whole point. Right? The, the point there is that God has given these gifts for the church, for their good, to train them for the work of ministry. Who, to who does ministry belong? In, in that verse, ministry belongs to the church, right? So the, the giving of teachers for the, the building up of the body is for the benefit of the church to train them for the work of ministry. And so know the power, if even a personal testimony in your own life, right? The account of how the gospel came, how you received it, and how it changed your own life. Think of how powerful that is in being a witness and proclaiming the gospel, people. Okay. So may this be the heartbeat of who we are as a church, not just in missions, but also in evangelism to our neighbors. And one more thing we see here is Paul's personal burden for them. See, Paul feels a special burden for the church of Colossae, even though he had never met them, right? He writes to them and he opens with this intensely pastoral prayer. So there will be opportunities where we should stand for the gospel in our own realm of influence. Right? And that's what Paul did by writing to them. And that brings us to Paul's prayer for them. And this section is intensely pastoral. It's not just a formulaic prayer or a simple standard for the letter. There's two parts, right? I mentioned those earlier. Paul was thankful for certain things. He was thankful for their, their faith, their love, their hope, their having received the message of the gospel. But he also prays for them, that they would live in light of the message that they received. Okay. So uh, we've talked about the gospel going forth, and now let's talk about their response to that, their response of faith. Paul opens here in verse 3 with thanksgiving. I'm going to reread 3 through 8 for us. And and think about uh, what Paul was thankful for in reflection of what God had done in the lives of the Colossians. So we're always, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you've heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. Which has gone <clears throat> forth. So, Paul opens here with this thanksgiving, right? He's, he's thankful for them, that they have come to Christ, right? He, he thanks God specifically. 
And so he, he thanks God for the source of faith, the gifts that God gives us. It's a reflection of God's character and who he is. He also says we always give thanks. He says that they, they give thanks. What do, what do you think of when you think of always, right? Is there's this continuation to the prayer, right? It's something that Paul does as a normal part of life as he goes throughout his day, right? He, he always gives thanks. There's, a, there's an image of continual prayer there. It says that it was, uh, so it's directed at God. There's continual aspect to it. It's also intercessory. He says, we pray for you. So Paul prays on their behalf. So there's this focus on individuals within the church, even in the presence of this, this growing heresy that's threatening the church from without. Paul focuses in on this prayer for the individuals in the church. Right. So Paul, we see here, it was a man of prayer. And it was a major focus of his life and ministry as he interacted with the church. And it shows the preeminence of prayer in Paul's life. We see that in other places as he prays for people. And reviving the church begins with prayer. So we'll see this as an emphasis right, in, in multiple places in the New Testament. We see this emphasis here. Even as Paul focuses in on the person of Christ and on personal growth, he sets it in the matrix of prayer for them. So let us be known for prayer. And then we see their response, these, these virtues of faith, love, and hope. Right? Christian virtues given by God. They're, they're marks of a changed life because of the hope. And so the, the faith and love, he mentions it first grammatically, but then he says because of the hope that you've received. Right? So this is a fixed hope. This is a, a hope in Christ and future redemption. It's a hope in the truth of the gospel. And their response to that is faith in Christ and love for all the saints. So is your, is your hope in redemption? Does it drive your thoughts, your desires? See, that, that hope comes when they heard the word of truth, the gospel. So you see there's an order here. The, the, the gospel comes, they place their, their hope in the truth of the gospel and future redemption, and they respond with faith and love in their lives. So it comes from the proclamation of the gospel. So are you thankful to see the gospel go forth? Right? When you see people come to Christ, does your heart just burst forth with gratitude and thanksgiving to God for what he's done in their lives? When you meet a Christian in a new place, in a new town, uh, is that just a, a casual meeting for you? Or is that something that, that uh, just grips your heart with joy to know that Christ is found there? Right? The gospel is God's chosen means to reach the world. The proclamation of his message. And that message is the source of their hope and ultimately their faith and their love. And it's the source of Paul's thanksgiving. And So let us be known for the gospel. Right? By God's grace, he establishes them in faith. And so he talks about faith in Jesus Christ. So he's thankful that they've received this gift from God, their own faith. Let us be known for how we exalt Christ in response to the gospel, right? It talks about their love for all the saints, right? 1 Corinthians 13, if you have faith to move mountains but have not love, right? We know the importance of love. But here it says love for all the saints, not just the ones we like, not just the ones we get along with better than the others, right? 
love the church where it's at. Love the people that God has brought into the church, even where they're at. And we, we are all in process, right? We're all weighed down with, with sin, with our own weaknesses. But we're called to love all the saints. And you can see here that Paul has a desire to see them grow. So it's not just that he has become comfortable and he's kicking up his heels. Right? He loves the church for who they are. And yet he wants to see them grow to maturity in Christ. So there's intentionality here. Right? So we love the church where it's at, but we're never comfortable with where the church is at. And we have to live with both of those at the same time. Right? So let us be known for our love for one another. So do you love Christ's church? And how do you express that in your life? Do you rejoice to see God's work expressed in the people around you? And then let me read verses 6 through 8 here. Which has come to you as indeed in the whole world is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. Right? We see that um, this gospel has gone out into all the world. Right? Paul is thankful that the gospel has gone out into all the world. And in the whole world, what's the point of Paul saying that it's gone out to the whole world? The point is that it's the same gospel that has gone out to the whole world. It's not one gospel for this people and a different gospel for this other people. There's one gospel that has gone out into the whole world and is, is reaching people. Right? It says it's bearing fruit. That there's, it's the genuine gospel that will bear fruit in them. There's evidence of their faith. It can be seen. And it says it was brought by Epaphras. It was carried by a messenger. This is how the gospel goes forth. Right? There, there's somebody to carry the message of the gospel. And so the church in Colossae, they had received the message and responded with a living faith, a love for Christ's church, and hope in eternal life. And these are foundational for the Christian life. They're evidences of a life transformed by the gospel. And Paul knew that there was a living faith among the people in Colossae. And so when we find that, let's rejoice in thanksgiving. But his affection for them did not stop there. He wanted to see them grow to maturity in Christ. And so there's this call to walk in a manner worthy Verse 9, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father. Okay, so this church... It was challenged by false teaching, right? They, but they were to stay firmly fixed upon Christ. And we're going to see that build in the next chapter or two as we go forward. And we're to see the glory and supremacy of Jesus Christ, right? So that they might live in a manner worthy. So 
be firmly rooted in the gospel is where we're headed here. And being firmly rooted in the gospel when weighed down by sins, run to Christ. So we might be filled with the knowledge of his will, with wisdom and understanding. Paul is connecting their reception of the gospel message to life here. That's where he's headed, right? So we have to get that straight if we're going to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So what does a life that's pleasing to the Lord look like? What does a life of obedience to Christ look like? First, he says, pleasing him, right? Your actions, are your actions pleasing to God? Are your interactions with others pleasing to God? The way you interact with uh, people in the workplace, the way you interact with your brothers and sisters in Christ. What about the things that are done in secret? Are those pleasing to him? What about the, the sins that we would rather justify in our lives and say, that's not that big a deal? Right. Is that pleasing to him? Are you pleasing him when you refuse the correction of a brother in Christ? Are you pleasing him when you focus on other people and not on your own sin? Another thing it says is bearing fruit. Right? The, the fruit of the Spirit could be what's um, in view here, but uh, it could also be evangelistic fruit. Bearing fruit's mentioned a couple times in the passage. Um, and folks focus in on one or the other. Um, it's very likely uh, the fruit of the Spirit, but at the same time, I don't think we can discount evangelistic fruit. The idea is that the gospel has gone into all the world, right? And so it is bearing fruit as it has gone into all the world. And it says that we are also to be increasing in the knowledge of God. So that would be in, in wisdom and Christ-likeness as we grow and are conformed to his image. And so knowing the Lord... Knowing our hope, we should walk. Life connects with truth, and we're called to live as Christ's people. And that's the bigger context of Colossians as a whole. That's where we'll be headed in the future, especially by the time you get to Colossians 3 and 4. So in 1 through 8, we see this focus on the, the, the faith that the Colossians have exhibited, and Paul's thankful for that. And then in 9 through 14, we're to live in light of what God has done, strengthened with endurance and patience, and knowing that this is God's work in our lives. So God gives us strength, endurance, and patience to persevere. So don't judge your life by, by others, and don't judge your life by your circumstances. Right? Sometimes we try to justify ourselves and say, well, you know, it's because of this circumstance that affected me. Right? The walk comes from God, so live in a manner pleasing to him. And then there's these last few verses here. And this really is almost a, a, a transition into the next section where Paul talks about uh, the supremacy of Christ in all things. And here we get a taste of that as we see the supremacy of Christ and having redeemed us and the full magnitude of what that redemption looks like. So in verses 12 through 14, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. There's a new kingdom 
We should have joyful thanksgiving for a shared inheritance with the saints. We have a common end together. There's a common family, a common team. It says that we've been delivered from darkness into light. You need to understand, you know, what with the opening that I had at the very beginning, right? That the idea that we want to, as as a society, we want to just seek self improvement, right? That's not being delivered, right? He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. Think of the magnitude of God's salvation. It's not just something that we we set our mind to to do better. Right. We've been transferred from one side to the other, and we are to identify with Christ. So redemption as in from slavery, right? So this isn't just a casual change in somebody's life. This is not just a self-willed self-improvement. This is a radical change that comes when the gospel comes into a life. So never forget what Christ has done for you. That is your hope. Salvation, it's holistic. It's not just a piece. It's not just a part. It involves our standing before God, but it impacts all of our life. Jesus doesn't just bring us part way there. He says, we no longer live in darkness, but now we are in his kingdom. And next week we're going to see that salvation is both personal, but it's also cosmic. It affects all of creation, all of the created order. So Christ is supreme, not just in having created the world, but he's supreme in having redeemed the world. So salvation is not just one piece, it's a package deal. It's not just something we decide to change for the better. The gospel transforms us. And that brings us full circle. It brings us back to gospel proclamation. Because as you give testimony to how the gospel has changed your life, that's your opportunity to proclaim the gospel. So therefore, walk in a manner worthy of our Lord. Grow in service to Christ. Endure by God's power. Give thanks to God for his salvation. And see how intentional this prayer is that Paul gives us. Can we pray for our church like this? Can we pray for one another? Can we pray for our families? that they would grow in the knowledge and wisdom of Christ. So Paul has masterfully opened this letter to the Colossians. He, he points out the marks of the gospel having gone forth in proclamation. He firmly roots the message in Christ and his work. And he prays intentionally for their growth to maturity. And he wants them to live in light of the truth that they believed. And so Christ is proclaimed. Paul is thankful for that. He's thankful for their faith. And he has this prayer petition that they might walk. Think about Paul's prayer here and where do you stand? Are you not growing in Christ? Paul's admonition is that we would focus on Christ that we might grow. So do you live in fear of your own standing before God? Know the full magnitude of the gospel and what Christ has done for you. That it's through Christ that we are transferred from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. Have others found you unloving towards Christ's church? 
Our love is in response to the hope in Christ and redemption that we have received. So Paul wants us to focus on the gospel because it changes lives. The world doesn't understand this. Right? The world likes what is acceptable and something that fits in with the, what the world thinks would be more in terms of, oh, an incremental change, something that um, is just kind of makes sense for the way that we would want to do life better so that we can uh, do life in a, in a better way, have, have a smoother ride. Right? It's not casual willing of a better life. Or a personal desire. See, we once lived in darkness. A part of a different kingdom. But in Christ, we're transferred to his kingdom. So our lives are changed. And we live as his people. And that's where we're headed in Colossians. Christ is the center. The focal point. And we have to get that right if we're going to live as his people. Transformed by his grace. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the goodness of having sent Christ to die for us. Help us to know you. Help us to know your message. Help us to proclaim it. And help us to be willing to to give up what we have held close to ourselves that are things that distract us from Christ. Help us to cling to you. Because there's nowhere else that we can find life than in Christ. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. This podcast is brought to you by Redeemer Church, a community of believers in Fort Worth, Texas, committed to equipping God's people to delight in God's glory and declare that glory to our neighbors and the nations. For more information, visit our website at RedeemerFortWorth.org.